So we say yes, so we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God? Thank you, Jesus. Bless your holy name, God. We bless you this day. We bless you, Lord. You have blessed us and we bless you back. And we say thank you, God, for salvation. Thank you, God, for salvation. Thank you that you are on the move, uh, saving souls in these days, pouring your spirit out as promised. Lord, absolutely in line with the scriptures, you are pouring your spirit out in these days. And we want to be the responsive people, God. We want to be the ones who say yes. We want to be the ones, God, who are led by you. We thank you for your amazing word that it's uh, surgically accurate, Lord, like the writer of Hebrews said, like a two-edged sword. Lord, it does not require sharpening because it's sharp. So we ask that you sharpen us. Yes. God, that we can understand and see and foresee, Lord, and uh, miss the pitfalls and represent you well. Represent you in such a way, God, that you have glorified in our lives. Lord, which uh, implies death to self and death to opinion and death to agenda and a lot of other things. So, so we say, God, do what needs doing in our lives, God that you might be glorified in us. Lord, we ask you to open your word to us this morning, God, as you always do so faithfully, Lord. Amen. Amen. Again, I start with the little red print, if you have my notes, and we have people coming aboard new every week now. There's a ton of downloads happening. There's people coming to the home who are new, and so I want to go over this again just quickly so you, you know, so you catch on to it again, but all this little red stuff I usually copy week after week. But one of the things, so I'll just say this, uh, the bold, this is, because this is done, as a, I always call it a treaching, it's like a teach-preach, um, and there's a lot of people listening. We, again, we're rolling into almost 12,000 downloads now, so we're, it, it, we're increasing. There's people listening in other countries. Um, so we, it has to be done in this format. It's most effective for, the, for, this, for this purpose. And so, but this being a live broadcast, a lot of the exaggeration of typeface size or bolding or, or underlining or something like that or italicizing, it's for me. So, so you get my notes and there might be typos and I apologize in advance and when I catch them I try to send out new notes at the, uh, at the end if you're on our mailing list. The teeny type of stuff, so you know I'm not just skirting over issues that I either don't want to address or don't agree with what I believe. I'm accountable to the Lord. And um, I want to go back here to this new one here, and that is add the email address ez3728 at gmail.com to your allow list. Reason being, we're already sending out announcements and notes to three different groups. So I've divided people by their first name alphabetically, so it's like, I don't know, Ada, I, or, you know, Jada, something else. But there's so many names on the lists that some of the servers are identifying as a spam. I can't use MailChimp because you can't send an attachment with MailChimp, and I send the notes out. Otherwise, I'd be using MailChimp, and it would be easy-peasy. So if you, uh, I actually sent an email to myself as a test and it ended up in my spam <laughs> so, this week. So um, a good thing to do is you, if you purposely add it to your uh, allow list. So 
Okay, last session, so we postponed getting into Daniel chapter 6, you know, the prophet and the lion's den, as I feel very much like the rest of the church compelled to be addressing what's happening right now. We'd be, it would literally talk about the elephant in the room. What's happening now is in alignment with scripture. As we go further in the book of Daniel, you're going to see a lot of things that we're going to be talking about, Daniel's visions going forward, some of the uh, things about the conclusion of the age going forward that are in complete alignment with what's happening on earth right now. I will say Jesus is not coming back any day. There's a whole bunch of things that have to happen because God and Jesus, they didn't just write the word, they are the word. And so there's never going to be a contradiction. And the more you study and press in, and the more God reveals to you by his spirit, the more you'll see there's things that simply haven't happened. So they will. So it doesn't mean lighten up or don't press in. In fact, we should intensify and press in because part of the work that God's doing in the shaking right now on earth is to get the church into the scriptures. There's a lot going on. I'm going to address it later this morning. There's a lot of doctrine, well-intended. Most of it's really well-intended in the charismatic church, the you know the uh, the uh, the evangelical church that um, they're hopeful doctrines, but they're not doctrines that um, could withstand the scrutiny of the whole book. So we're all challenged. I'm challenged in that. I you know I'm present. I always you know easy thirty-seven twenty-eight. The website it says one man's opinion. This is my opinion. I'm prayerful, I read my Bible every single day, I listen to the Bible every single day, I'm embedded in the Word and it's embedded in me, but I'm still making adjustments. There's still things that I, sometimes, that's why I use my old iPods, iPods, yeah, the old little guys, when I ride my bike, so I could hit repeat, 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 because sometimes I'll be listening to a scripture that I've heard 500 times and something new comes to me and I thought I got to repeat, repeat, repeat again. So I'm, I'm, I'm tweaking things, although I haven't, thank you Jesus, haven't had to make any massive doctrinal shifts because by his grace I've pressed in. And, and when you meet people who really are pressing in the scripture, they pretty much come up with the same thing. The issue we have though is that oftentimes, especially when you first get saved or first get enlightened or first get, you know, whatever you want to call it, you first start pressing in. When someone is speaking to you and teaching you, oftentimes say, this is the answer. I remember the first time I read a commentary. I thought, oh, I'm so glad this commentary is written. Now I have all the answers. Until <laughs> I read the next commentary. <laughs> now, and then I'm thinking, oh no, well now what do I do? Do I, you know, spin the spinner or roll the dice? And so that's why you have to be in the Word. You have to, you want to be in this. It's the most volatile, radioactive place you'll ever be, and it's the safest place you'll ever be. So, you know, what's happening right now, it is absolutely part of the prophetic plan. Israel, like I said last week, and we had ridiculous number of, uh, by the way, of downloads this week. Israel needs to get saved. They need to get saved. They need to get saved in the sense of rescue, like Jonah was saved from the whale. That's, that word is there in that, in that book. But they need to get saved saved. They need their Messiah. The solution is Jesus. He's, the, he's for the Jew first. It's not, they don't have an alternative. It's not, they're not automatically saved because they have Jewish blood running through their veins. I can testify of that. I know when I got saved. I was not, trust me, I was not close to saved. So I'm just saying that these are the days, they're critical days for the saints on earth. It's why we're here. It's part of why I believe, and I'm saying it here, the self-centered, scripturally unsupported teachings of the, 
of many churches, I'm not saying all, there are churches that are solid as a rock, and that's great. Those, um, the, a lot of the churches are saying we're not going to be here in the, in the days of trouble. The Bible says we're not going to be here in the days of wrath. It doesn't say trouble. It's a big difference. Mm -hmm. The days of troubling, the shaking work, is to get people praying. That's a work of mercy. This uncomfortable thing that's happening, it's not because God hates man, God loves man. But he's trying to get people's attention, and the storyline, basically, throughout Scripture, is more people come to God when there's troubling on earth than when there's complacency, which comes with comfort, comes with peace. It's been the story of Israel, it's been the story of the church, it's been the story throughout the ages. It's been our story, even as believers. So God shakes us. Sometimes you think, God, why? All these things going on in my life, and some of it is just plain old broken world, and you're in his perfect will. Some of it is God's trying to get you into his perfect will. So we're in this funny little dynamic going on. And, you know, if you've sat in any of my teachings for the last 25 years or more, and I've been teaching probably 40, you know, specifically the last four, almost five years, there's like 188 podcasts you could refer to. You, I mean, they're there. They're mostly on Podbean. It's a free app, or you can get a lot on iTunes or Spotify. But a lot of things that I speak and teach, I'm not assuming that everybody's listened to everything or read everything. I don't even remember all the stuff that I've taught and read. I'm just saying, but there's a, there's a reference for you. And in, for the most part, this is the theme that God has had me on for about really 20, 25 years now. So almost any teaching, no matter what the title might be, has to do with the same thing, and that is we're here, God's amazing, he's amazingly patient, he loves Israel, the world's getting crazier, they're raging against him, he's coming back, there's going to be a violent overthrow of every government on earth that opposes him, and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and fortunately for us, by his grace, we've bowed and confessed already, and we're invited to continue bowing and confessing. So these are amazing days. I spoke to some younger, uh, it's like a leadership group, younger leadership group yesterday. It's amazing to see what God's doing in, in the youth. You know, we always have a tendency to see what's not happening, to see the troubling events. So most of the news on the media streams is bad news. But when you're involved in fellowship, there's a whole lot of good news going on. God is getting hold of people every single day. The prophetic bottom line is that Israel needs to get saved. That's our prayer, is that they get saved. We're, we're praying for the innocent. We're praying for the every single one of them. I got an email from a guy who's like 60 years old with, with an automatic weapon doing watch duty in Israel between midnight and 2.30 in the morning. He's 60. His time in the IDF ended 30 some odd years ago, maybe 40 years ago. He's, he's in uniform right now. And they are, this is serious, they're fighting for their lives right now. And we know the outcome eventually will be great. But God's dealing with the people on a national level. He's dealing with them on a financial level. He's dealing with them on a, on a familial level, in other words, family. But he's mostly dealing with them on a spiritual level. And we have to remember that because that's how he deals with us. And the primarily Gentile church, in essence, is sitting at the Seder table with the Lord Jesus, it's not, and yes, you know, you love, we all love as a Gentile church, we love the concept, oh, there's no distinction between, you know, Jew and Greek, which was the 
the massive, you know, disparity back then. Well, you know, Satan, he feels that way too. He's, come, he's going to come, be coming after the Christian church. So these are good days for us to be pressing in and understanding what God's will is, okay? Here's some of the church views that um, I'm not presenting these in any order, in any order of priorities, just that I was writing this morning. <clears throat> One of the views is the church will be out of here before any serious trouble. That's very, very common in the charismatic church. First of all, if 10 or 15 years ago you had simply told them what was going on now, they would have assured you we already would have been out of here. We are friends who sat on their front porch 10, 15 years ago waiting for the rapture. Didn't happen. So it's not supported by scripture. I'm delighted to talk to anyone about it, but and I have taught on it, and it's in my notes over the years. I couldn't tell you where offhand, but I could, if I needed to, I could do global searches. But the reality is we're, with a misspell, we're told we're out of here prior to the wrath. We do get raptured. There is a lift up. There is a coming up. But the troubling work is because God wants people saved. And the way to get saved is by a work of preaching and a work of testimony and a work of love. And that's why we're here. It's why you're called. It's, in many ways, it's ridiculously selfish to think because you got saved, you're out of here. It doesn't work that way. Can I add something? Please. Because you say uh, prior to the, to the wrath, the wrath is when in Revelation the bowls of wrath are poured out. And that's after this troubling time. Thank you. That was good. Very good. The world will not only be, will be not only fully evangelized and hear the gospel, that's absolutely true, before the Lord returns, but the, the, the church often believes that the world will be massively saved, like almost a majority, and ready for the wedding as soon as the Lord, the groom of the church, returns, which is, again, not biblically supported. And I give you some scripture references here. We've taught on them. We've had special, uh, specific teachings on the book of Zechariah and other places in scripture. And the nations are raging. The nations are gathered by God to that final battle, to that Armageddon battle. God gathers them there. Our study on God and Ezekiel is the same story over and over again. And it does not contradict, or what Jesus said um, in the Gospels does not contradict what it says in Zechariah. The book testifies of itself. Another thing that the church often wants to believe is, you know, they, I, you know I, and I've coined this little phrase, we, we have a tendency to want to kick the eschatological can down the road. Okay, he's coming back. Yes, there's going to be trouble, but I'll be out of here long before that. I'll die at 198, 87, 246, whatever your belief, but you think you'll be out of here before it happens. And people say to me, oh, I'm really worried about my grandkids. And I just sort of look at them. I think, yeah, maybe. But we, first of all, we do have a thousand years upcoming. So it's not, eternity does not start when the Lord returns. The millennium starts when the Lord returns. And we've done teachings on that. So we have to get a perspective of really where we're at in this whole thing. But the reality is there's a whole lot of things happening extremely quickly right now. I, the only thing I tell people, I'm, I'm not surprised at what's happening on earth. I am a little surprised by the, um, by the pace the pace of how things are occurring. But the ones who are praying should be the ones responsive. We should be the ones pressing in in these days saying, oh, I get it. 
Another thing that we, uh, the church has a tendency to believe, which we don't, and we will, we will pray and change the mind of God. Now, there are a couple of times in Scripture where it says the Lord relented. There are t- One thing, and this is important, because I've had people ask me, even the last couple of weeks, should the church be calling out the sin of Israel? Crickets. That's a tough one. The prophets called out the sin of Israel, but they were very specifically called to that. Their own scriptures speak of the sin of Israel. And I'm going to go through this a lot this morning. One of the things that's critical to understand is the big event, the big event between the time that Daniel was revelated in Daniel 9 and 2023, the big event was the life of Jesus. He was prophesied as part of the Daniel 9 70-week prophecy. He was born at the right time. He lived the right way. He was sacrificed on the right day of the year. Uh, and he was, he was crucified. The sins of the world were, were carried upon him. He went down into the place of the dead. He was resurrected. He stayed 40 days on earth. He told them to wait till they got empowered with the Holy Spirit. And he ascended up to heaven. That was the big event. There hasn't been a big event between Daniel and now except that. And the condition of the Jewish people hasn't changed. The ones where it changed were called the church. The the first church was Jews. They got saved. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. They went out to the world. So that, nothing has really changed in the climate of Israel as far as them coming to their Savior in mass. And God has a plan for them because he's faithful to his covenant. We have to remember that in our prayers for Israel, even in blessing them. I, I love it. I, Carrie Job's going to be singing uh, Monday night at this conference here in, uh, you know, this gathering in Nashville. And I love that song. It's so powerfully anointed. It unquestionably has the power of God and the anointing of God on it. But it has to be framed within the context of what the scriptures say. He's still dealing with the Jews for salvation in these days. So we just want to process. And I can't, I can't tell you where the line is between, you know, uh, man's own wickedness. There were things that were so wicked in Scripture. God says these things never even came to mind, never came to his mind. And yet man in their creativity, but under the sway of Satan, things have come to people's minds that are perverted and wicked. God will hold them accountable, but people have suffered at the hands of those people. So I don't know exactly where the lines are. All I know is I got to keep my eyes on Jesus more now. I want to be in his will, in his time, in his place. I want to write church, write fellowship, I write everything. We don't have time to, every shot counts right now. So we're not going to change God's mind overall to the entire plan, but he calls us to intercede. The prophets, going back to you know how we look at Israel, The prophets who spoke the toughest words of judgment were the ones who had the softest hearts crying out in intercession for God's mercy. It's not us sitting here going, see, we were validated because somebody suffered. That, quite frankly, is religious pride. It sets us up for some serious correction. We don't want to go there. We want to love on the Jewish people right now. We want to warn them. We want to love them. But we want to pray accurately. We want to know what their own verses speak to them. It's really important. How the nations will be turned over to the Lord, we know. We, you know, that's going to happen. We're not going to change his mind about that. 
um, when the nations will be turned over. The church uh, is inclined to believe that all the troubles on earth throughout both testaments were independent works of the adversary. Like God's up there going, oh, I can't even believe Satan did that. I can't believe he did this. How could he do, how could the Holocaust, how could the, well, how, what about the Inquisition? Look at my people. Look at, look what he's done in martyring saints. And, and, he's, and God's wringing his hands. That's not the story. That's not the story. We have a sovereign God. We don't ever see Satan being sovereign. When you start seeing Satan as sovereign or equal to God, suddenly there's a shift in your ability to turn your whole life over to Jesus. Because you're thinking there's this like equal match. There is no equal match. There's a God. And he's the one who saved you. It's just like the whole thing with Porphyry, the guy writing all those books, discounting the book of Daniel, and Jesus tells you to go read the book of Daniel. Who do you want to listen to? It's unbelievable. A lot of the deception has to do where we want to believe what man says instead of what the Lord says. We have to remember who saved you, who continues moving in your life. Um, Another thing that's interesting when it comes to the sovereignty, you look at Daniel 7.2, we're told that four winds of heaven stir up a great sea. Man, that was the beginning of the revelation to Daniel of the troubles, of the, em of the empirical troubles that would be upon earth between those days and the return of Jesus. They were stirred up by four winds of heaven, not four winds of hell. God's ways aren't our ways, and what's been presented to the church very, very clearly, sadly, over the course of the last 2,000 years, presents a God who doesn't fit the, doesn't align perfectly with what the scriptures say. So we are told, like another thing is interest, interesting, if, if that's a, sort of an easy word, but um, Isaiah, well, we're going to read it later, so I'll go right down there in a minute. So when we would when people ask Jesus, teach us how to pray, he basically said, surrender to the will of God. Surrender to the will of God. Teach us how to pray. Your will be done. So one little, one more mini preach here. And this prophecy of Isaiah was spoken prior to the invasion by Nebuchadnezzar. This is prior to the invasion. Daniel is, that was the invasion. The Jews were carted away. They were carted away over a period of really centuries, actually, in, in different waves. But Isaiah prophesied prior to Daniel. And listen to what Isaiah says here. This was 589 to 587 B.C., before Christ. And these verses were never totally fulfilled. They were not totally fulfilled. They were not totally filled, fulfilled because... The yoke has not been removed from Israel yet. It's clear, just turn the news on. They're still under oppression. So you could say, well, there's not an empire really hovering over them right now. And you could say in that situation, the yoke is off. But the troubling work on Israel is very, very active. And what we're seeing, quite frankly, with the same bad guys, if you will, that God has utilized for his purposes of correction on his covenant people over the years, are actually doing the same things that they did Thousands of years ago. Exactly the same. So listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 14. And this has to do with changing the mind of God. Because one of the things is we sometimes have, all of us, have a tendency to, have, to want to apply a humanistic mercy. Yeah. Thinking if we could only make this thing work. If we could only, like, can't we all get together? I'm seeing pictures of a little Arab kid hugging a little Jewish kid. Saying, look, isn't that amazing? Look, they're, you know, they've got their little outfits on and he's clearly Jewish and she's clearly... And, yeah, that would be great. 
Then we have a Bible that we have to deal with. There were people who were living two miles from the uh, border who used to um, send balloons over and stuff. It was just like saying, hey, we just want to live in peace. And, you know, we're right here. We're purposely living like two miles from the border fence to show you that we're Jewish people and we're the same blood. We're, you know, the same bloodline. We, we just want to hold. That family is found slaughtered. The family was found slaughtered, embracing each other. So who's saying this via the prophet Isaiah? Isaiah 14, verse 24, the Lord of hosts. That's God's warrior name. That's Yahweh Tzivaot. It's also Adonai Tzivaot. It's in one place, it's Elohim Tzivaot. On my bicycle yesterday, I was listening, and it said the God of hosts. So it would be Elohim Tzivaot. But it's his warrior title. It's God coming through as the warrior. Thus says the warrior God, king of the universe, king of kings, lord of lords, king of the universe, commander of the armies of heaven, the hordes of heaven, saying, surely, as I have thought, so shall it come to pass, as I have purposed, so shall it stand, which already sort of implies unnegotiable, that I will break who and where. I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains tread them underfoot. That's Zechariah. 12 through 14. That's Ezekiel. What will occur when the word is fulfilled? Then, at that time, his yoke shall be removed from them, meaning his people, and his burden removed from their shoulders. And the reach of this word, is it just Israel? This is the purpose that is purposed against, this is kol edetz, means the whole earth. So he's saying that the, the focus is Israel, because that's the apple of his eye. And that's the, God's, the center of his earth universe, if you will. He says, this is the purpose. It's purpose against, against the whole earth. It's against the whole earth because Psalm 2 tells us the whole earth will be raging against him in these days. And this is the hand that is stretched out, virtually the same words, rephrased, over all the nations. All the nations. Again, Zechariah. And then here's the notice and the challenge. Now, remember, the world doesn't read the Bible. Most churches don't read the Bible. A lot of saints read what's their favorite verses, but the whole book's there for a purpose. It's the whole scroll. And who in the world would want to change something that they don't even know exists? I think this is written to the believers, the ones who would read this stuff. For the same God, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? He says, that's not going to happen. And it's actually a warning. It's sort of like when Jesus said, those who break the least of the commandments and teach those will be called least in the kingdom. It's not a disqualifier. It's not saying you're out if you're teaching erroneously, unless you have an agenda, which you have a much bigger problem. But if it's simply out of ignorance, but it, it will deplete your reward. So he's saying, this is the way it's going to come down. And this fits the entire context of all scripture. So later to say, so... Good morning, Sandy. So later <laughs> this a.m., we're going to read Daniel 6. But first, in sync with praying for Israel, all of us always and especially in the season, also in line with this gathering that's going on, I want to look at chapter 9 again. We've talked about it several times. You know, actually, I taught Daniel in 2021, and I felt like the Lord has brought us back now in 2023. But, you know, our focus, the first time we read it at the very outset of this teaching, had to do with the man Daniel, because he's like an amazing guy. His whole life, from a teenager, just swept up and, you know, perhaps castrated, made a eunuch. He was under the, the uh, you know, under the 
charge of the the head of the eunuchs. He there's no there's no message about him or any any uh, reference to him getting married or having kids or ever coming back to Israel. The man stayed holy. He stayed pressing in. in his eighties and nineties, he was having revelation. He was um, he was even as kingdoms turned over, the next upcoming emperor realized that this man had the holy goods. And so he was called into meetings. He was, he was, he was unbelievable. His life is an amazing story. That's, where, that's what we looked at in Daniel 9 when I, we looked at it at the beginning of this series because Daniel's prayer in 9 is so accurate, so spot on that the angel is almost tripping over himself to get to Daniel. And Daniel says, yes, even while I was praying. So he gets interrupted, and the, Daniel, and the angel shows up and goes, You are loved in heaven. You are loved, and you are greatly beloved. God's going to reveal to you a 70-week plan that will mystify and, in many ways, trip up both the Jew and the Gentile who reads this stuff for, like, thousands of years, but it will get cleared up. And he, the angel didn't necessarily know at the time, but Jesus is, in essence, in Matthew 24 and in Mark and in Luke, he's basically saying when the abomination of desolation is in the temple at the conclusion of the age, basically saying, open up Daniel. He says, let the reader understand. That's a, that's a key, saying these are the days to be pressing into this thing. So, so he's validating the man and he's validating the book. So, again, the big seismic event, prophetically, that occurred between the time of prayer of Daniel and right now was the first advent. His birth, his ministry, his sacrifice, his atonement, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, which is misspelled. Um, and he's, he's, it's funny, I did a spell check today and it said everything was okay and I thought, I bet you it missed, something missed. There's a couple I'm picking up here, so note, note that for me. Computers. What's that? Can't depend, Can't on, depend those on those computers. Yeah. Bill Gates... Steve Jobs, I don't know. He might not know how to spell ascension. He might not. I don't know. Anyway. So this takes us right into the New Testament age. The fact that the coming out of the captivity of Babylon, which hadn't happened yet at Daniel 9, although Daniel knew it was upcoming, all the way through to now, the big event happened to be the, the Jesus. Jesus opening up the door for the Jews to get saved, the Jews first. And for the most part, they didn't. And so God's still dealing with the Jews. So it takes us into a New Testament age, an age, an age here's believers misspelled. Now, you guys getting new notes today. An age during which the believers, Jewish and Gentiles alike, are called to be Holy Spirit receptive, empowered, submitted, something misspelled, that for the most part has not occurred. It hasn't occurred. Most of the Jewish people, most of the church, they, want, they, they even want manifestation of the, of the infilling to be in the back room so we don't offend anybody. It's one reason Jesus, in fact, I was listening to this on my, as I wrote yesterday, and he was saying that you know, every sin committed against God or, or spoken against God or against Jesus, that'll be, that'll be forgiven. He says, but you're in great jeopardy of, etern great jeopardy of eternal damnation if you, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Because they said he had an unclean spirit, because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And the difference in the level of, of uh, jeopardy has to do with the fact that the world curses Jesus, and the world curses God. But it's usually the believers who are, in essence, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. They're discounting what Jesus said, you stay in Jerusalem. And that's why we have a church that's powerless in many places, because we want to sit here and dial things down so, so it's sanitized and comfortable. Careful, careful, careful. 
Okay, so world history will testify how it's gone for the Jewish people since the crucifixion. It hasn't gone really great. They've been blessed. They've been blessed with finances and intelligence, and they've won Nobel Prizes and Pulitzer Prizes, and you get all these lists and says, look, look what an amazing people they are. And they are amazing people, but they've also been amazingly persecuted. Six million died in four or five years yes. during World War II. We have photos. We have movies. We have, we have black and white film to prove it. We've been to a, a death camp. We, were, we went to Auschwitz, Robin and I. I lost most of my family during the war. So it hasn't gone well with the Jewish people. And the ultra-Orthodox, they're reading with a veil over their eyes, reading the Old Testament, thinking if we were doing swell with God, then all these things wouldn't happen because that's clear. They could figure that one out, and it's true. That's an accuracy. And then they think it's because people aren't living the way we are in ultra-Orthodoxy. And so they disdain anybody in Israel, any Jew on earth, who, is, um, who isn't living like them because they think they're holding their finger in the dike of God's wrath. I mean, this whole thing's whacked. And meanwhile, we got kids getting killed in a, while they're in a rave. And there's all sorts of new age stuff. The abortion levels are high in Israel. I mean, the place is not close to salvation yet. It means God has to keep dealing with them. Because we also know the promise that there's going to be a massive Jewish revival at the conclusion of the age, which is another marker that Jesus isn't coming back right yet. So still, the Jewish people have not yet cried out. Now let's read Daniel 9 with that lens. Because we're seeing it happen now. A lot of people, even Messianic Jews, never thought this could happen prior to the return of Jesus. What's going on right now? And I want to think of it. It's happening. People, we know people losing people. We know next door neighbors. I, I told you last week, a friend emailed, says, my, this is at the very, very, very beginning. And it was like weeks ago that morning when I woke up and the Israel was already under siege. And he says, my friend... Two weeks, yeah. My friends have uh, terrorists in their house. I don't even know what the outcome of that event. So here's Daniel 9. Now, this is not a complete parallel to where we're at as far as the conditions go, because Daniel already knew they were, they were coming close to the 70-year time running out, and they were going to be released from uh, captivity. He had been reading the book of Jeremiah. So some of the backstory is different, but the condition of the Jewish people on earth in those days you almost can read this without comment, but you know I can't read this without comment. <laughs> now, the whole thing about Darius, I was on a massive bunny trail earlier this morning, and I, I sent you a link, and I invite you to go down that bunny trail yourself, but the name Darius is probably a title like Pharaoh, because there's a whole bunch of D Dariuses in Scripture, and, um, and if you read some of the different accounts, even in the book of Daniel, which Jesus testifies to as being legit, um, you'll see there's, there's a, sometimes it sounds like, could he be Cyrus? Could it be a different name? Could Cyrus be his name and Darius his title? I'll leave it to you. I'm not going there. I have too much on my plate right now. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, which we know is therefore one guy, because in other places in Daniel, he's referenced as Darius the Mede, which might or might not be the same Darius, of the lineage of, oh, here, it is, uh, this one probably is him, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, which we read, I think, last week, that he, God, would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. That was God who chose to make Israel desolate for 70 years. 
the God who loves Israel, chose to make it desolate. He chose to have his people carted away. So instead of just packing his bags, then I set my, and his old man, because he knew it was, time was coming up, he was probably a teenager when he got there, so he was probably in his 80s. And so instead of staying home saying, I've lived a good hearty life and I'm on retirement now and I'm going to learn golf, then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O oh Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. That's the part of the covenant we all want. But the covenant is a two-edged sword as well. We, he owns it with him, although we never see any reference to him sinning, unlike other people in Scripture who are amazing men and women of God, and we saw things in their lives that weren't perfect, but we see a man here, and he says, we, he owns it with the people. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets. Read Amos. Who spoke in your name, to our leadership, to our kings, to, and our princes, to our fathers, and all the people of the land. God spoke by the prophets to the people. He spoke to them from earth, by the prophets. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them. Why? Because of the unfaithfulness of which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we've sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against it. Still realizing that God's merciful. He still knows the promise has to do with a remnant but he's laying it out just the way. Remember, this is the prayer about which he was not corrected. One, one question, one comma, one anything, nothing. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and departed so as to not obey your voice. So what happens? Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. If anyone who is not walking under the grace of Christ and in the grace of Christ is still under the law. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judge us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven such had never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. That was the 70-year captivity. There's a verse in Jeremiah that says, the time will come when they will no longer to say the God who brought us out of Egypt, but the God who brought us out of the North Country. Because Egypt, in, it's sort of vague, I think I know why, but, it's, but I see you know, through other scripture that w why they were in Egypt. But, but he's saying that we always we sit at the Passover table, the Seder table, and we say the God who brought us out of Egypt. And that's critical because 
They didn't have a prayer, in essence, other than a prayer for deliverance. And God brought them out after four, about 400 years of trouble, whether they were in Egypt, 400 years is another topic of discussion. But the point is, is he's saying, there's going to come a day when they're going to address the fact that our suffering throughout history is because of our sin. And the people that they used to deal with us was because of our sin. But they're not yet saying that. That's why Ezekiel 39 is so critical. Read Ezekiel 39. It's after, obviously, 37 and 38. But that has to do with God drawing the nations in and the Jewish people crying out. It's looking, it coordinates with Zechariah, where it says the people, the Jewish people at that time, will look on the one whom they've pierced and they're going to mourn as one mourns for an only begotten son. His feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives. It says at that time, Israel will understand why they went into captivity and Jeremiah then will get fulfilled. The whole book's, oh, it's going to be spectacular. It's going to be amazing he took. I used to read, I read all of Conan Doyle, all of Sherlock Holmes, and at the end of his, it was so convoluted, some of his mysteries, that at the end of every Sherlock Holmes story, they're sort of like sitting around a table, and he's explaining, so that little feather that I saw on the countertop, I knew, understood the bird that it was from, but that species is only in uh, Africa, but only during the months of so-and-so, so therefore, I, and you're going, wow, that's amazing! When we see the conclusion of the yeah, age, yeah. we're going to be blowing our minds, mm -hmm. thinking, God, wh who are we to think we had this figured out? Yeah. The Jewish people are going to understand why they went into captivity, but not yet. So some of it, I believe, is on us, as God might open the door to speak, but we have to be careful. Even Monday night, I'm thinking, please, Jesus, help me to pray. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Please, God, I am pressing into this thing very deeply. That is written in the law of Moses, all of this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. They haven't done it yet. They're still talking about, they still want our aid. We have our president going there talking about, you, we won't help you unless you do this, unless you allow this. And everybody's negotiating these kind of like half-truths, half, -truths, half we, now we were going to, Israel was going to be in there in two days, and now they, you know, it's just stuff. I'm not condemning them. I don't know the whole story. I don't know much of the story, you know, militarily. I know nothing. But I'm simply saying we're just watching this play out in, our, in front of our eyes, and we're called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So we pray that God would pour his spirit out and the Prince of Peace would be revealed to them in these very, very days, but that the church would speak truth. The church was big truth. So it's, it's written, the disaster has come. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us for the Lord our God. Why? For the Lord our God is righteous. He's relentlessly righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, here's the intercession of the prophet who understood why they're suffering. He's not saying, go get these people. I pray, let your anger and fury and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us, meaning their testimony of failure and, and, and imprisonment and suffering has basically sent false signals to the whole world that their demon gods are stronger than the God of Israel. 
This is what happens when God is necessarily correcting his people and we're demonstrating a woodshed anointing. We've all heard of pastors with public ministries falling hard and it goes out on the internet and everybody's going, who needs church? I could get the same story in a bar. I, I'm gonna, oh, I'm going to read about fornication and adultery and, and cheating with millions of dollars of, of, of tithes and offerings. Who needs church? And it, we've been a reproach. And, and no one's getting away with anything. The birdies don't fall to the ground without God seeing it. We are accountable to God. All of us. Thank you for that, God. Your people are a reproach to all those around us. We've dropped the ball. We haven't walked in power. If God poured the power out that he says he's going to pour it out in these days, we wouldn't have enough people to pull out the bodies of Ananias and Sapphira's. Can you imagine if God struck dead everybody who exaggerated at church? Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, meaning me. Please, God, hear me, Daniel. And for the Lord's sake, for your name's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh, my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. That's the only card we have. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. We represent a God. Please, God, for your sake, show your mercy. And then, this goes on, and when we get to Daniel 9 in our progressive teaching, we're going to spend time on the 70 years. But this is the background where the angel comes racing up to Daniel and interrupts him and says, you are so loved in heaven. You nailed it, dude. Basically, the angel is saying, Daniel, you nailed it. You got it right. You are not deceived into thinking anything inaccurate. This is truth. That's a blunt honesty. It activated the angel interrupting Daniel to give him and us the 70-week prophecy. This is what God wants from us in these days. He wants a tribe of Daniels. He wants a tribe of Zacharias who are so innocent we can keep saying, what's it mean, what's it mean, what's it mean, what's it mean? That we're just pressing in. So this, if the Jewish people and mass refuse the grace of God available through Yeshua, their one and only Savior, then they remain under the law of the covenant of Moses and accountable to the covenant. And a veil remains over the eyes of the Jewish people. All the writers of Mishnah and Torah and Maimonides and all the great rabbis, they're all writing with a veil over their eyes. And a lot of them are writing fake news, fake Jewish news. And we have to be careful as a church that we don't buy into that. And, there's a, and, and this is interesting. And a veil remains, and that's a prayer point for us. God, take the veil off the eyes of the Jews in these days. Lift that veil. He's going to do his sovereign work of the Jewish people. It's going to be amazing. I don't exactly understand it all, but God is faithful. If he wasn't faithful to them as his original covenant people, then what, how could we bet on him being faithful to us, the Gentile, primarily Gentile covenant people? What does Paul the rabbi say in 2 Corinthians 3, 12? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we use great boldness, confidence of speech, unlike Moses, unlike him. He had to put a veil over his face. He was so lit up when he came down from Sinai, the people couldn't even look at him. He was lit up. He had to put a veil over his face so the people would melt, basically, so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. 
For until this day, Paul's writing this in the New Testament age, Jesus is up in heaven. There hasn't been the big event between then and now until this day, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one, anyone, turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. That's spectacular. We have, a lot of you were raised in Christian churches and there was a veil over your eyes. The book seemed sort of weird to you and then you got saved and suddenly the book lit up, opened up, and came in you. The veil gets taken away. When one turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom or liberty. That's why you get set free. And that's why the Word wants to be in you. You don't get set free when you get saved. You get forgiven when you get saved so you can start living holy so you can get set free. That's so cool. We're bound by our own affections. Whatever we pet owns us. We have to be careful, except our dog, we could pet him, right? The little guy, that's different. What we are seeing in these days, in alignment with the plans of God, is his purposeful moving upon his beloved Israel to get those people to, to, to own their condition, a place of ownership of their condition, so that they might see and understand and be praying to their God via their Savior, who's the only door. That's the story. That's the salvation of Israel. That's why we're here. We're here to be contagious. Forget plagues. That's a counterfeit. Satan never created anything. The, the real contagion should be the saints. We should be contagious. That's spirit-led. What does Paul say in Colossians? Chapter 4, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, for the leadership, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in chains, which really is going to take us right to Daniel 6 now. Because Daniel was only in trouble. He found himself in a lion's den because he was holy, not because he was unholy. He goes, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one, Jew and Gentile. Walk in the Spirit. Your mind should be owned by God. Your time, your mind, your life. Now Daniel 6 but I'm, I'm actually going to uh, skip over this because we're running late and I want to at least touch on it a little. And when we come back in two weeks, not next week, when we come back, um, we will get into Daniel 6 thoroughly as we need to do. But I don't know that I'll finish it now. Well, we should have a little bit of time. So this whole thing about, um, let's see, I've mentioned before, I know our Lord himself told us this, affirming both the man and the book of Daniel. This is very critical because a lot of times people say because... They don't say it this way, but the reality is because we don't understand some of the historical wigglings of the history of mankind on earth. We haven't found the right cuneiform. We haven't right, found a stone tablet. We haven't found a scroll. Some of the guys who wrote stuff were goofy. Because of that, we throw the book out. That's what they want to do. They want to throw the book out. It's, they do it to their damnation, of course. And God doesn't answer to man, man answers to God. Which is why the scripture says he, he basically exalts his word above his name. Meaning sometimes people, the word is, he is the word, Jesus is the word, we've looked at that. But because people don't understand the word or what appears to them to be contradiction and they don't, can't understand it, then they're sitting there and they're basically bad-mouthing God. Saying, well, if this was true, then this would be in place. And these things contradict, it's not a contradiction in scripture. 
was talking to these young people yesterday. I was talking about the excitement of walking and living in the spirit. I said, if you're boring, if your Christian walk is boring, it's because you're boring. It's not God. He's not boring. <laughs> you're boring. <laughs> to get closer to the one who's anti-boring. The, the anti-boring. The, the antithesis of boring is saying yes to God and having him move. And suddenly you got miracles happening and coordinated incidences and you're sitting at the right place in an airplane and you're meeting this guy and <clears throat> by chance this thing occurs and you start running into those events. This is what God's trying to do in these days because he wants a bunch of miracle people on earth. He wants the supernatural because if the world doesn't see the supernatural in holy people, when they start seeing the lying signs and wonders, they'll deceive the saints. It says it in scripture. To deceive, if possible, even the elect. Just because you don't believe this stuff doesn't mean you're not elect. God loves you crazy. If you're sitting in church and raising your hands and you got saved, you got saved, that's spectacular. Doesn't mean you're not susceptible to deception, but so get the word in you and get close to the God who is in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Get close to that place. It's the safest place on earth. So what, is, what does Jesus say in Mark, verse 13, chapter 13, verses 14 through 20? So when you see the abomination of desolation, it's the thing that causes to be this bleak spirit of desolation in the temple, Spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, doesn't belong there. And then he, Jesus, it's his parenthetical, let the reader understand, implying that you're reading. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. He says, you need to book. You need to book. You need to know when to get out. And if you go to Matthew, the, right after this parallel chapter in Matthew, it says immediately, euthios, immediately after those days, the signs of the Son of Man will be evident in the skies. And we know that was not the first century when the temple was destroyed. Luke 21 is also parallel, but it's pretty amazing because it says something special in verse 22. But these are parallel verses. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near when you see that. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let not those who are in the country enter her. And this is cr critical. For these are the days of vengeance. His vengeance. His work. His calling the nations. His setup. His Gog. Him calling his, the, the captain of the evil people. The Gog that, that God identifies which we studied in the Ezekiel studies. These are the days of vengeance that how many things get fulfilled? All of them. All of them are going to get fulfilled. These are the days. So it puts a time marker on it. So here's Daniel 6. The last verse of Daniel 5 says, Darius the Mede received a kingdom being about 62 years old. And we also find reference again to Darius, Darius uh, uh, or Darius. Um, there's other ones. And so I'm just saying it might be a, a reignal title. It might be like, like Pharaoh. So I'm not stuck on whether there's one Darius or Darius or two or three. There's a lot of people. And I've said this before. If you were writing a fictional book, you'd never name two or three or four people by the same name. This is a true book. So sometimes things are, present themselves to us as looking confusing. But how come there are so many Jesuses? 
Peter lives with a guy, Simon lives with a guy named Simon. You wouldn't write fiction like that. And common sense would say, pick another name. This book is real. This is like real life. You have, you know, how many friends you have the same name. This is, this is a real book. Real people. Okay, so here. We know that, I remind you yet again, okay, and this is important because we have a lot of people coming on board new in these studies. This is absolutely critical verses in 1 Peter 1. Of this salvation, and you could go back and read the beginning to confirm it's exactly what we're talking about. It's what we've experienced as born-again saints. Of this salvation, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, past perfect tense, have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, that you're now walking in as a person who's been redeemed. You were not like this before, now you are. They inquired and searched carefully. They were prophesying hundreds and thousands of years prior to Jesus and prior to your salvation, of course, of this grace that you're now walking in. And those people who were writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit were searching. These were diligent, faithful people. What and what manner of time? When and what? The spirit of Messiah, Christ, the spirit of Messiah who was in them, the ministering spirit of the Messiah on the people, the prophets in the Old Testament who was in them. What was that spirit of God indicating when that the spirit of Messiah testified before it happened, beforehand, the sufferings of Christ? Remember, this is written by Peter. Jesus had already suffered. He's talking about Old Testament times. It's clear. The Spirit of Christ is pouring out on these people, saying, you know, they're going to they're pierce him, they're going to mock him, they're going to spit on him, he's going to be wounded for your transgressions, he's out of Egypt I've called my son, he's going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver, and these guys are writing under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and they're thinking, what are you talking about, God? Well, how does this fit? How, when is this going to happen? And in essence, the Holy Spirit is saying, just shut up and write, basically. Just Look what happens. To them it was, I'm sure it was kinder than that. To them it was revealed that not to themselves. The Holy Spirit is saying, just write. This is anointed. Just write it. Because when the whole book comes together, it's going to become the magical mystery tour. It's going to be the most glorious thing ever written, ever given to mankind. And it'll be hated and burned. But it'll survive because it's eternal. To them it was revealed and not to themselves, but to us they were ministering. Whoa. The Holy Spirit is telling the writers of the Old Testament, you're writing to a, a, another age that's yet to come. Just write it. It'll make more sense to them. They'll have the Spirit of Christ in them. They'll be full of the Holy Spirit. They'll have an up, upper room fire experience. And the Spirit of Christ will, will sit upon them and be in them and lead them. And it'll all make sense to them. Write the Older Testament for the, for the saints in the Old Testament. Remember, the book's 2,000 years old, we call it the New Testament. I think that's so funny. But the reality is, he's saying, there's an age to come after Messiah, and there's going to be massive salvation open to whosoever will, Jew and Gentile alike, come drink of the waters of life freely. It's going to make sense. Just write it, because they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're going to, they're going to be anointed to wreak havoc the kingdom of darkness. That's us. That's why we're here. This is why we're here. Is that great? And then he says, by now, now it's been reported to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. It was revealed to them. He says, but it's to us. 
and we're ministering to you and the Holy Spirit was sent from heaven and the things that we're being shown as sons and daughters, the angels can't even see. And then he says, therefore, stay, get holy and stay holy. Don't believe the lie that there's grace to be living in sin. It'll destroy you. Therefore, here's your response. Gird up your loin, the loins of your mind. I always kid around and say, put your pants on your head. But he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. Get it in gear. Think right. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you. The full grace. When? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the form of lust, as in your ignorance, because now we know better, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. That's Amos 3. Amos 3, Amos 4. Amos 3, 3, Amos 3, 4. You be holy. Walk. The Holy Spirit wants to live in you. The Holy Spirit does not live in you when you're unholy. It's contradictory. You become an abomination of desolation, if you will. You've got to repent. God's calling us to holiness in these days. It's a safe place. Daniel 6, you guys. Mm -hmm. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. He had come in, remember Belshazzar was out, and now Darius is in. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, the Jewish captive, who had read the writing on the wall to Belshazzar and said, you're toast, and that night he gets executed because of the amazing invasion of the Medes and Persians. The, the, they come in and basically the story gets back to Darius thinking, I want that guy who read the writing on the wall. I mean, that writing might have still been on the wall the next day. They said, I want, I want that guy. And he starts watching Daniel. And the history of Daniel's holiness goes right through to the next kingdom. These are the kingdoms we're going to be studying as we get into seven, eight, nine. But he says, he sets them over them, and he sets three guys over them. And listen to why he sets them up, because Darius understood how corrupt his government was. Because he saw it was, it's a wicked empire. That's, it's a seething, dark empire. Almost didn't matter who was running it in that season, in that neck of the woods, and in many ways today. It doesn't mean everybody who's Arab, it doesn't mean everybody who's even Islamic is an evil person, but the, what permeates that area has to do with demonism. Mm -hmm. And there's corruption here. Can you imagine a corrupt government? No. Okay, we'll move right along. And over those three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps, the ones who he set up as leaders, he's thinking, they're corrupt. I need people over the leaders. I need leaders over leaders because they're corrupt. I need this Daniel guy because he's holy. And so that satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. It's the Holy Spirit. And the king gave him, gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Remember, it was because of Daniel's interpretation years earlier that there were any satraps. All these guys should have been dead years ago. Right. The wise men were going to get taken out because Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he wanted people to tell him the dream before they interpreted the dream. So these guys were only still living in their religious robes because of Daniel. And now they want to take him out because that's what happens when people are that wicked. So the governor and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge of fault because he was faithful. It doesn't mean you won't have enemies. It's just that they can't find fault. Stephen the martyr. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel 
unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So how's it going to go for the saints in these days? So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. This is unbelievable stupidity here. I'm telling you, because it just shows you how crazy. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar built a statue on the plain of Dura? And then that started the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego challenge. And he says to them, if you fall down and worship good, like the answer is, the solution is good. What I built this big, what, 60, how, how big was it, 90 cubits or 60 cubits? But a 90-foot statue, big. Or I, he says, if you fall down good, that's the, it's a dead statue, it's not real, if you fall down good. And here's Darius, who's the king, who has a little bit of wisdom, we can see it here. He's thinking, I need some legit guys to look out for me because I'm dealing with a bunch of snakes, spiritual and political snakes. So all the governors of the kingdom and the administrators, satraps, counselors, and advisors have consulted together, all except Daniel, of course, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, king, now, O king, establish the decree. Sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed a written decree. What's he thinking? <laughs> now, could God have changed the heart of the king? We know he can. Who was setting this up? I think I know who was setting this up. Trouble for the trouble for the man of God. God was setting up the impossible for Daniel. They're just playing into his like um, they're, they're trying to give him some false honor, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, and playing into that ego. Yeah, they were. And he's and he, and that happens when people are in leadership. They mm -hmm. they get puffed up. They want to believe their own press. The solution is ridiculous, though. He signs, the, he signs it. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day. You want a reference? Want a life reference? A success reference? What's your diet? What's your customs? How do you live your life? And prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Let's learn it now. You don't want to start getting intimate with God when these things are going on. You want to have a life process in place. I know, so, and I do this, when I go someplace new, one of the things that I'm always scanning is, like if I'm going to sleep over someplace, I always think, when I get up in the morning, where am I going to pray? I want to find a, I want to find a place with Jesus. I just do that. I've been doing it forever now, long time, not ever, years. But I just want, I want to make, you know, I mean, he, he comes with us. I know that you play on, pray on airplanes, you pray in cars when you're driving in India, which is very inspirational <laughs> to pray, by the way. But I'm just saying, you really have an amazing prayer life when you're front seat in India driving at night and there's one headlight coming at you and you don't know whether they're going to come past you on the left or on the right. You're an unbelievable prayer warrior instantly. Now, when Daniel knew, okay, so he goes, and his custom was to, he had a God habit. And he's basically saying, I'm not making this up or intensifying it, but I'm not altering it. I'm not going to alter it. Then these men assembled, because they were outside waiting, setting him up. They thought, we've got to set this guy up. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you, there's no live forever here. 
There's no greeting. Right. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? You think, what kind of government has a den of lions waiting to throw people into? I mean, this is a wicked... This, this is, these are people who behead babies? Yeah. Burn people in cages? The king answered and said, this is... True, this thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Shows you a little bit about the laws of man, by the way, and as God weans us off of nationalism, both in Israel and America and Canada and other places, we have to realize that we're answerable to the laws of God. This doesn't alter, the king says. So they answered, and he, I don't. it sounds like right to here, the king didn't know that it was Daniel who had been captured. He didn't know. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, for the degree, or the, for the degree that you've signed, but makes his petition three times a day. When the king heard these words, he was greatly displeased with himself. Well, he got caught. He got trapped. It's an entrapment here. He realized the guy I trust, the godly man, of course, I didn't even think of that. I was so busy living in my pride as a leader. I was so <coughs> captivated by the authority that I have. And set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Meaning they were going through the books. There has to be some kind of loophole. we got to write something. Well, let's pass a law. We'll put it in like page 80 of the law. We'll have everybody sign it by some congressional edict. And, and when everybody agrees to that, then we'll slip this in. He spends a whole night. It doesn't work. And yet God is at work. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, they're basically challenging him now. No, O king, that is the law of the Medes and Persians, and no decree or statute which king establishes may be changed. Hmm. So who do you want on your side? So the king gave the command. And they brought Daniel and cast him into the, lion, the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying, this is crazy. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he'll deliver you. That's having a testimony for Jesus, mm -hmm. that your life is marked. We always talk about mark of the beast. We have a mark of God on us already. Keep it, keep it. Then a stone was brought, another stone, was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. I always think of the song rattle, ask the stone that was rolled from the tomb of the garden. What happens when God says to move? The stones answer to God. They put a stone there. It wasn't going to stop Daniel from being saved. Different outcome in a way, but it basically everything answers to our God. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night. This is not the way he normally spent it. Fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Well, he was tormented. Probably might have been praying. Might have been praying to the God of Israel. We don't know. Might have been praying to a false God. We don't know. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him and also, King, I've done no wrong before you. That's how we want to be found. 
Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command and brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. We, them, their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them, broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be peace. The guy who has fire furnaces, dens of lions waiting to eat people, now he's blessing the world with peace. But he's writing it to all the people under his realm. This went out to all of that area of the world. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God and steadfast forever. The kingdom is, his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So to me, that sort of says that those two guys are two different guys. Amazing? Did every prophet escape the edge of the sword? No. Is your life safe in the hands of a God who sees all, who's moving in power in this season? Yes. Remember, Jesus sits at the right hand of God when the first martyr was about to get martyred. Stephen sees Jesus standing. He got off, got off his throne and stood up to see Stephen. So here we are, God, in these days, and you've called us to represent you, and you've saved us out of sin, and you are determined to pour your spirit out upon your people, God. And so we want to lay down our agendas, our offenses, our misconceptions, the theology that has, uh, that has restricted us and held us back. And we say, God, we want what you want for us in these days. We ask you to pour your spirit out upon us, that we would, God, all of the years of experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, the anointings, the disappointments, God, we ask you, God, that you would pour your spirit out upon us, that we would walk in surrender render to you in holiness, in clarity, in purpose, in obedience, God, that you would move mightily in these days, that you'd be glorified, Jesus, that you would have an army, an army of worshiping warriors in these days, God, who only say yes to you, God, only say yes. We say yes to the purposes of heaven. We lift up Israel. God, we ask for it. We cry out for the salvation of Israel. We cry out for that veil to be shifted and moved. We cry out for a, a, even a remnant work to continue in these days. God, that people would be driven back to their scriptures and, and start connecting the prophetic dots and seeing, God, why the troubles are on Israel in these days. And that you are faithfully going after them because of your love affair, God, with Abraham and his seed. We thank you, God, for your great mercy. We are here because of your great mercy, God. And as your children, God, as we unmute our microphones, we, God, we do, we want to say a hearty amen that we agree with you that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus. In your people, God, we say amen. 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 Is anybody out there saying yes to God?